From the History Yogi podcast, this is Dave. Singapore has recently seen a surge in discussions on racial discrimination after several troubling incidents, including physical attacks. Today, we speak to Shavesh, co-founder of the Instagram account Minority Voices, on what the spike in discussions about racism means, whether it is valid to criticize anti-racism advocacy as importing Western influence, and how the majority can meaningfully engage in fighting racism and discrimination. Thanks so much, Shavish, for joining us today. How did you personally become interested in advocacy around race in Singapore? I wouldn't say I became interested in advocacy with regards to race in Singapore. I think growing up, I've just been a victim of racism and racial prejudice and discrimination all my life. It really heightened when I came out as queer and within the queer community, it was really terrible. Uh, and then it affect, I realized that it affected my mental health and all of that. And then when I grew out of it, I realized, I think especially after the Preeti Please and Subhash video in 2019, I realized that, whoa, I mean, I guess we all have a voice. I mean, we all can say and do something. So, I mean, I started becoming more vocal about it, at least among my own social circle. When the people I always spoke to or interacted with, how minority voices came about was, I think, completely different to that. And I don't really, I mean, I find it very difficult to call myself an advocate, I guess, because I'm really not doing anything. I'm just speaking from my own personal experiences. I guess I didn't really like start out wanting to be an advocate for race or race relations in Singapore. I think it's just, I'm just tired. I'm tired of being looked at and perceived as a second-class citizen with all my multiple intersectional identities and all of that. So yeah, about time, I guess. Now, Minority Voices, the Instagram account that you run, has nearly 20,000 followers. Uh, Could you explain how this initiative came about? So it all started last year during the pandemic. There was a Chinese newspaper called Yen He Cao Pao. They came up with an op-ed that I think spoke about the reason why migrant workers, specifically South Asian migrant workers, were being affected by COVID at a disproportionate level was because of their culture, the way they eat with their hands, how they sit on the floor and they eat, how they hold hands when they are out and about and stuff like that. So I was extremely offended by that because when you're targeting a South Asian migrant worker, you're also targeting Singaporean Indians. We literally have the same culture, sometimes the same religion, same practices. The only difference is that we have a different nationality and citizenship, right? Everything else is similar. We have ancestors from India and all of that, all in parts of South Asia. So I was just like very upset and very, very angry with the fact that they were doing that. And instead of looking at the real reason for migrant workers being affected, which was because of the cramped dormitories and, you know, not testing quick enough and not like giving them proper space and all of that, they targeted their culture, which is something people should not change in the first place. And I also felt like they were targeting us, like Singaporean Indians, because I eat my hands. It's a very common practice to sit on the floor and eat. People hold hands here, and that's not, nothing to do with culture in the first place. So like, I'm, I was just very confused and very upset by the whole thing. So this was going on, and there was a lot of, like, I think there were multiple racist incidents or, uh, happening during that period of time, especially targeting like South Asians in general. Yeah, so I was very upset. I used to talk about this to all my friends and everything. And then uh, I had a friend who put me in contact with Bina, my co-founder, because she 
was oh, she saw she came across like a video um called the curry song where three chinese kids were like making fun of classical indian dance and like their head movements and their hand gestures and all of that and the whole song was a very bastardized version of a indian esque song um so she was very offended by that and she wanted to speak to someone so the mutual friend that we had or we shared as put us in contact because i don't know for some reason she felt like i am someone who always goes on about racism in singapore so we started talking and you know before this we had never met so we were just talking about our experiences and we realized that even though we ha- are very different like she's female i'm male she's straight i'm queer but we are both indian she her parents are from india i'm third generation singaporean like even though it's so different like we realized we had a lot of similar experiences and we realized maybe if we have similar experiences people who look like us also have similar experiences so she actually suggested should we start something and initially i was a bit nervous because you know in singapore there's pofma and like so it's a bit scary i was a bit scared but i was like you know i think at that split moment for some weird reason i was like you know why not let's just see if it fails it'll fail and like it'll just be amongst like my friends and everything so whatever and i think coming from a theater and counseling background i've always been interested in stories and lived experiences and how they can really like move and inspire and motivate and challenge people so yeah i came up with the idea of like sharing personal stories and lived experiences and the platform that we chose was instagram because it was the most used platform at least to my understanding so that's how it came about and actually like in 2018 itself or in 2019 itself sorry i put the name minority voices in instagram to check if it was available because i always wanted to do something along the lines of like race in singapore but i guess i just needed the right push and like vina came along and like there was someone else to like also support me so i guess that's why it worked out i guess and that's how it started from your experience what are some key issues that are frequently raised by contributors to minority voices frequent issues i'd say are like things that happen in school a lot of interpersonal racism i don't think a lot of people talk about like structural racism i think it's also difficult to understand and institutional racism and all that so a lot of it has to do with interpersonal racism things that happen in work things that happen in schools yeah so i think those are the ones that we mainly receive maybe things that happen in national service so a lot a lot to do with like people and like what happens at yeah in places like these and that's what i would say that we that's how we get the most of yeah for sure I mean race is one of those sensitive issues that come under so called ob markers or out of bounds markers which have unofficially discouraged public discussion of these topics for quite a long time do you think singaporeans are no longer afraid to openly discuss race and racism now i think singaporeans are still afraid to a certain extent because i mean initially when we started minority voices like i was reaching out to people to share their stories and i always wanted people to also share a photo of themselves so people could identify the person and see the person for who they are as well like like and like an image was really important to me for some reason but i also realized that not many people were comfortable coming forward if they had to show like a picture of themselves or whatever right so since then once we took that criteria out i guess you could say that more people started submitting and i think they felt more comfortable staying anonymous because i mean when you do come out you know with your story or experience about racism discrimination or any type of discrimination like you, there's always that fear that your job can get affected the people around you might speak of you differently or whatever right you know like 
I know someone or some people were talking about how Shruti, the first person that we showcased on Minority Voices, some people had to came out and said like, oh, but like this person doesn't speak about racism in their day-to-day life. So why is she doing it now? Or is she only doing it for clout? Or like, you know, is she just, you know, so, so I guess people just find it more or easier to stay anonymous and also share their story. Because I feel like everyone's experience is valid and you should have the platform or space to speak up about it, especially in Singapore when there's, where there's really no real space to go about doing that, except for like maybe like Speaker's Corner or something. But even then, that's regulated. Yeah, so I think that, I'll, I mean, the OB markets, I, I think that has definitely changed because more people are much more vocal now. Like a lot of them are like coming out and like every, every, everything people, everything that happens to them, people are super eager or open to speaking about, which I think is great because I think for the longest time, we've always thought of these things to be taboo or like we can't, especially I think minorities, you know, you've, been, you've always been taught to like, you know, just lower your head, study hard, get a good job and like your life will be better, you know, like, but racism doesn't end there. It continues to work for the rest of your life, you know, like, and I think people are just finally sick of it. And I think this generation or the generation below, like, like the younger generation, maybe you could say like Gen Z, are extremely vocal about it, uh, which I think is amazing. I think it's great that people are coming out and talking about it. I think it's amazing that people are taking videos because people are, there are a lot of people, even sometimes people in the government are saying that, oh, but where's the proof, right? So I think it's amazing that everyone has a camera phone and the first thing they're doing is recording. We're also learning a lot from the Black Lives Matter movement, I think, for sure. Yeah, speaking about the Black Lives Matter movement, I mean, there's been some of the criticism that's against advocacy or, or efforts such as yours tends to center around the accusation that this is importing, quote, Western ideas and concepts, unquote. You know, things such as cancel culture or woke culture and critics say that, oh, this is disruptive to the local harmony and the local situation. What is your response to such claims? I mean... What does importing Western ideas mean? I mean, everything in Singapore is Western, right? Our architecture is Western. Our politics is Western. The, the language you speak, English is Western. So what do they mean? We were colonized by Britain. Like, what do they mean by we are importing Western ideas? I just feel people use that to say, or to not want to talk about racism because it, like, you know, tries to disrupt the status quo. I don't think that's a fair thing to say. I understand Obviously, we cannot equate our experiences as ethnic minorities in Singapore to that of a black person in America or a black person anywhere or ethnic minorities in other countries where like there are wars and people are killing them and all of that things, right? We can never, we can never do that. That would not be fair. But that does not mean that as ethnic minorities in Singapore, we should not be coming out and speaking about our experiences because it does affect people's mental health, people's well-being. And that can be very detrimental to, to a lot of human beings. I think by saying that we are importing Western ideas, it's just trying to like discredit or like it's trying to somehow like invalidate people's experiences in Singapore, which I honestly don't think is right or fair at all. I think what needs to happen is that, I think what needs to happen is that we need to acknowledge that these things actually exist in Singapore. I mean, I understand that people say, oh, you're importing Western ideas when we talk about Chinese privilege. I think it's very important to, because I, I mean, the, word, the, the term does come from like white privilege and stems from like how, how people use it in America or in Western countries, which I understand. But we also need to be able to contextualize 
Western movements for a Singaporean audience, right? I was reading this paper, I think that was released by the Institute of Policy Studies by NUS, if I'm not wrong, talking about like globalization and globalization. Very important because obviously we don't have the same experiences, but similar things happen. People are still racist in Singapore. There is Chinese privilege. <laughs> there, there is discrimination. It's just that it's not violent until, I guess, recently with that Indian lady who got kicked in the chest. But that was the first case that got reported. Do we know about other cases? Are people comfortable reporting them? You know, I think, I just think it's not right. And I think it's, when people say woke culture, it's, it's just trying to silence the left and silence people who want change for this country. I think we all want this place to be equal. and We all want this place to be actually racially harmonious. So why are we fighting against that instead of like doing, acknowledging that there's an issue and let's work towards making this a better place? Now, beyond minorities, how do you think the majority can be meaningfully engaged in fighting racism and discrimination in Singapore? I think the majority, like Chinese people, need to be allies. They need to stand up and speak out because use their privilege when they see racist incidents happening. When they see, for example, like we have so many videos coming out recently, right? Like of all these like incidents of like racism and everything, but we haven't seen anyone like intervene. We haven't seen anyone stand up and like stop it or, or say something when that incident happens. And this goes for both ethnic minorities and Chinese people, right? In Singapore. I think as a culture, we are very used to this, like, oh, it's not my problem, so I'm not going to say anything or like, don't ask, don't tell or whatever, which is really detrimental because then we are really not anti-racist because if you, are, if you believe in anti-racism, then you will, you will always speak out when you see something, when you see some, any, any sort of injustice happening, when you see racism uh, taking, uh, taking place in any form, you have to always use your privilege to address what's going on in Singapore, in this country, and all of that. So I think that's what Chinese people need to do. I think they also need to listen to ethnic minorities. Like a lot of times we always hear people like gaslighting us and like invalidating our experiences or dis trying to discredit our experiences, which is not right. I mean, like, why would you, why, if someone is coming on and saying they've been racially discriminated, why is the first thing, why is the first thing they're telling me is, oh, are you sure? Or like, ah, uh, you're just overreacting, lah. you know, like stuff like that. It's not necessary. As someone who usually doesn't go through racial discrimination, what would you know about how it feels or what it's like or anything, right? Yeah, listen to ethnic minorities. Have more ethnic minority friends because that will really teach you a lot. Stand up and use your privilege. Speak out. And also support all these different organizations that are doing good work, like Beyond the Hijab, Lepak Conversations, Kwasa, The Healing Circle, whatever that talks about, like the intersectional issues of ethnic minorities, support their work, go for panel discussions, do the things you need to learn, educate yourself, read more. You cannot come and tell me that in this day and age in 2021, like you are still asking to be educated about race and race relations and racism in Singapore. Like it makes no sense to me. Like there's so much resource out there. Please do the work. Because if you come to me or any ethnic minority person and say, oh, I want to be educated, like you're putting the labor back on the ethnic minority person who's already been discriminated or who already goes through a hard time in Singapore to do that emotional labor and mental labor for you to learn. Whereas like you could just do that yourself. Now, one of the criticisms sometimes made about advocacy in general on, on many issues is that it's too academic or privileged 
and therefore leaves out many marginalized people who don't understand theories or have the spare time to organize in, in a coherent way. How do you think your cause can avoid this and remain accessible to a mass audience? I completely agree with you when you say it can be like, I think it can be very academic and privileged and it can outcast like marginalized folk. And I think that's not how we should go about advocacy or activism because you need to reach, your message needs to reach the most, you know, like the most regular citizen in Singapore or not even a regular person in Singapore, right? Not everyone has gone to university. Not everyone has that kind of education. Not everyone understands academic jargon. So we need to like speak in layman terms and need to make our work more accessible. I honestly feel like activism and advocacy is really gatekept in Singapore. I mean, because I never went through like the regular school system where like I went to like secondary school, JC, then university. I didn't go, that was not my path at all. But when I look at all these new, or all these organizations, right, like that pop up or that are like, even if you look at all these ground up initiatives in Singapore, a lot of them are either from NUS or NTU and a lot of them know each other. And when I, even when I speak to them, I'm like, whoa, what are you saying? And I don't understand how the things you're saying. And I'm like, whoa, I don't like, it's just so difficult to understand and to comprehend to then want to believe in the work that they're doing, right? So I think we need to be as accessible as possible and just think and be more empathetic and understanding of people who might not have had the same experiences as us when it comes to like education or whatever and class and all of that and try to reach to the most marginalized person in the country. What kind of steps would you take to, for example, to, to make yourself, make your cause more accessible? I mean, when it comes to minority voices, like we are like honestly sharing a lot of like personal stories and lived experiences. So like, it's not really like, yeah, it's not really like people are not going to be able to understand when they read what's going on because the submissions are from everyone right so it could be someone who's educated not educated someone who writes well doesn't write well has good english not good english whatever or who knows about singapore history doesn't know everything right so i think whatever that has been on our post so far is quite accessible i'd say obviously unless you don't speak the english language then it becomes inaccessible for sure even when i'm trying to put up posts about like for example like quote-unquote educational posts like for example we talked about sexual racism and I try to word everything in, in a simple manner. I mean, sometimes it might not come across that way, but I, that's, I try to. That's, that's what I... And we initially wanted to also dissect academic literature, but I was also, think that I was also thinking about how accessible it might be for our general audience. And that's why we've also taken a pause on that. Is there anything else that, that you want to particularly mention? I mean, I think, right, you know, when we talk about racism in Singapore, especially when I look at all these stories being submitted by, on Minority Voices, I realize that, number one, there needs to be acknowledgement for sure. So the general public needs to acknowledge that racism exists in Singapore, but our government officials also need to acknowledge that it's a problem. If, we, if they themselves don't acknowledge it and if they send out their ethnic minority 
politician to come out and say like racism is, is not at its knife's edge, then the general public is going to look at this brown Indian man and say, oh, if he says racism doesn't exist, then racism doesn't exist. And that's why people find it so easy to gaslight and say that we are overreacting and all of that. That's one. I've realized that there's a lot of like people submitting stories about teachers and their experiences in schools. What are we doing to address teacher education? Does teacher education include things about culture, ethnicity, race? Like how do we deal with students like that? Or how do we deal with issues of like discrimination and racial prejudice and all of that in, in the school system? Uh, are teachers equipped? Because a lot of times teachers are also the one, ones perpetuating racism and they have their own implicit biases. So what is the education system doing to address that? When it comes to the workplace, I think we need diversity, equity and inclusion. Like people in that sector, in any like in every like HR department or whatever, because I've had people tell me that HR people, and these are also ethnic minorities who say like, oh, their boss tells them to like throw away resumes of Indians or Malays because they don't want to hire Indians or Malays. So even though your job advertisement can like, cannot discriminate per se by the law, people in those offices, people in those organizations or departments or whatever can still discriminate based on their own prejudice or bias or whatever. What are we doing to change that? So I think there's a lot that needs to be changed, but I also think the mindset of the people in this country needs to change. Because every time when we say, oh, racism, especially when they say racism in the workplace and stuff like that, they always point to meritocracy, but meritocracy is also a lie uh, that we've been fed for ages. And even when it comes to like rental racism, what are we doing to change that? How are we addressing that issue? Like, for example, even recently there, I, someone messaged us saying, oh, we are three siblings, you know, we are Indian trying to find, and these are young people, like 20 plus, three siblings trying to find a place to rent, you know, in the West and be uh, wanting to look for a place that we can cook food, for example. And they are struggling because no one, no one wants to rent to Indians. And no one wants Indian people to cook food because it's supposedly smelly. How Ethnic minorities are disadvantaged at a disproportionate level, especially when, you inter when that intersects with class. So we need to, as a, as a country, as a government, as, a, as people, we need to be more empathetic. We need to be more understanding. We need to want this place to be a better place because when we say we are looking, when we're fighting for equality, I don't want more than what a Chinese person has. I just want to be treated as the same or in the same manner a Chinese person is treated in Singapore. And I don't think that's too much to ask for as a citizen of this country or at least as a human being living in this country. That's what I would say.